Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. The rest of this week's talking points is what I should say. Right, the start of the dash was clearly unsatisfactory. There were at least four stalls that didn't open in time with all the other ones. Um, what could or should the BHA have done when they realised this, Eve? I, I think it's really hard because if you, if you void it, that's a nightmare. If you make them non-runners, it becomes more of a nightmare for each way um, horses because it, it takes them out of the game. If you look, watch it... Something's head-butted the stalls on that side, which they've gone earlier. And, then and I just think... It so it's a horse's action that's yes, created yeah, a stall's yeah. malfunction. We're going to have a look at it now. Have a look to the left of shot from stall... See, there we are. 14. It was seven, yeah, it was 17 that broke the stall, and 16, 18, 19, 20 mm, were the ones mm. that stayed in a fraction of a second longer than the others. And I know a fraction of a second makes a difference, but I think they, well, did, they, there. they did the only thing they could do and just let it stand. So it's an un unsatisfactory situation, but what, what would you have done anything different, Dave? Um, well, I think that it's one of the sort of fundamental rules of betting that everyone starts from the same place and you know I, I tipped ancient times in that race uh, the, the four horses affected ancient times vintage clarets lihu and live in the moment they finished in that order 15th 14th 20th and 17th mm -hmm. and I feel that you know if, if you can't if you can't win you shouldn't be able to lose okay uh, I, so should they have been called non-runners well, those four I think that in a really tricky situation that might have been the best solution to 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 say the the start of those four horses was compromised and we're going to declare them non-runners obviously like there's it's derby day there's whirlpool yeah. blah 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 but I think personally in a in a, a really difficult situation I think that would have been the least worst solution. Okay, so one vote for, yeah, leave it, it is not ideal. Another vote for maybe make the horses whose gates didn't open on time non-runners. What would you have done? Um, we ran a horse in three-year-old dash called Dickie Bird, and I said to the owners, if he isn't in front early, he can't win. Um, he he was in front early, but if he's in that race and he's drawn high, he's in trouble. Um, if you could take, if you could do it so that you're still paying out four places for the for the punters, that would have been a, you know, an amicable resolution. I would, I would mm. have said. You do wonder to what extent they don't want to whip up a hornet's nest when you've got Whirlpool as well in a big field like that. Let's just take a look at Kieran O'Neill. He tweeted yesterday, and he was on uh, Live in the Moment. In the words of the BHA, not materially affected in the fastest five furlong race ran. The gate's marginally slower to open. 75% of the field had jumped before somebody even opened. Drawn 20, my horse's head nearly got stuck on the centre. So that is more grist to. Dave's Mill, Eve. Well, I just think it's, uh, it's, it's a no-win situation, isn't it? Um, there is, however, a more serious underlying point here in that if a horse anticipates the gate like that, the effect that it should or could have on the remainder of, the, of, that, of that portion of the starting, starting gate. So stall 14 burst the gate open. A, a random selection of stalls to his stand side have decided not to open. Yeah, it's, um, no, it's not. It's not the, they the, need to be The engineering's at, not great, is it? The engineering's not great. If we can build building, uh, buildings that are kilometres in the air, surely we can fix a stall situation. But isn't the problem is that they're all mobile, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're all being slept around the country yeah. all the time. We, we need consistency and we need a, a system that's fair. That race, I mean, it's, 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 it's cool that it happens in that race where the start 
is probably the most important race of the year where the start is you know, crucial. OK, let's take a look at the uh, dash for three-year-olds. New race. Uh, my reservations here about why there are only 14 runners, but more of that in a moment. I just wanted to look at uh, Marco Ghiani, who um, performed a manoeuvre uh, not long after the start of the race. He's in the black colours there, where he came across Harry Davis, who was riding Russet Gold, who was the second favourite. And you really kind of need to see a little bit before this as well, because he had to have known that Harry Davis was there. Now, the stewards banned him six days for careless riding. You can, you can debate the merits of the length of the suspension as long as you want, uh, and I'm certainly not trying to just serve it up to Marco Ghiani, a very likeable young guy who's trying to make his name again after a difficult period. But, Dave, if that is careless, where do the stewards get to irresponsible and dangerous? I mean, yeah. if that's only careless... Yeah, it does, it does make you wonder where the bar is, is set, It's pretty... It? Um, you can get, get away with quite a lot for being and, careless. And that wasn't, that wasn't the... Well, that wasn't all either, was it? Because there was a use of the right elbow... Uh, aboard uh, Tallulah Mila. It's, you said Harry Davis was a well-balanced jockey on a horse, Eve. It's just as well. Yeah. Um, because That was total wipeout, really, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I thought, I thought yeah, I'd say, like, Marco Ghiani is a very promising jockey, as you say, who's just come back from a ban and he's rebuilding, and we know about his talent. He's a champion apprentice of the past. But just have a look at this. He's, he's, he's got to know that Russet Gold's on his on his inside here. I mean, they've come together, so he now. That's that, according to the BHA stewards, and it and it it's really the the BHA stewards in in the crosshairs here, Nick. That's careless riding. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a fine line. His instruction from his connection might have been given his stall position, get to that rail as soon as you can. Mm. So. He's single-minded tunnel yeah, vision to do that. If he, if he doesn't do that, he might not ride the horse next time. Um, it, look, it is careless. Um, I'm, I'm not an expert in terms of what the, 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 you know, what should be done, but I can see why it's happened. Mm. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to uh, John Dance, uh, the prominent owner uh, who has been um, investigated by the Financial Conduct Authority. This story's taken a new a new development this week. Dave? Yeah, it has. Um, obviously, this this story started at the at the beginning of April, didn't it? When uh, the Financial Conduct Authority said that they had ordered WealthTech uh, to cease operations um, amid, um, well, after the, the the arrest of a forty eight year old man and and um, concerns about the way that the company, the other two, of course, Vertem. Um, Asset Management and Malik Melville, they all try, trade uh, together, or at least they're, they're all John Dance's companies. Um, then we had uh, the business with Brave Man's Game running, or not running at Aintree, then running at Punchdown. Now, um, there's been something of a sort of hiatus over the last few weeks. This uh, week it was that the FCA uh, took the story on a, a little, quite a bit further, actually, um, to say that um, they are investigating uh, evidence of criminal fraud and money laundering, um, and the headline was that, that there is an £80 million uh, black hole. More specifically, uh, the FCAA said they were aware of a shortfall of £81.4 million um, in client assets and money associated with 
wealth tech as of April the sixth. So that takes that takes the story on quite a uh, a bit further. Obviously, John Dance, very well known uh, owner under both codes, Brave Man's Game, and I suppose L Lawrence would probably be well would be his um, highest achieving horse on the flat. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the interesting point about this from a from a, a horse racing point of view is the fact that the FCA appears to have ring fenced the the racing operation and allowed that to continue. But to what end? Nobody nobody really knows. So. James Horton had runners back last the weekend last weekend, didn't he? After a, a, a long a long hiatus. Anything to add, Nick? Um, at, at the sales where I'm pretty low down the pecking order in terms of my choice of horses that I can buy. And when somebody's going to the sales and buying these horses above me and in the ranks with money that they don't have, or it seems like they don't have, um, it's not fair on me and everybody else who is f further down the food chain. Um, so, you know, I, I think the situation needs to investigate. In terms of the horses being allowed to run, again, I, I would question whether they should be allowed to run because they've been bought with funds that it seems like they aren't there. Um, so everybody else is being disadvantaged and by them being allowed to run. Of course, what the BHA have to do in their dealings with the FCA is to, is to try and, um, as best possible and responsibly and within the law, look after a workforce and ensure that the future of those horses in the short and medium term is, is viable. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's not a great situation um, for all of us. Um, I just feel that, you know, I'm seeing it from my point mm. of view. From the vendor's point of view, and they're it's delighted. One, and it's one yeah. that I haven't heard that much. Yeah. Either. From the vendor's point of view, they're delighted because they all got paid out when the horses were sold. But you know, they were effectively bought with money that didn't exist. That's you know, it can't be great for the game. Much talk again this week about premierisation as the debate continues as to whether the plans being put in place by the industry and led by the new BHA board are the correct plans for the shop window on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, Carmel this week said you know, they would be one of the tracks that would be forced to, to change more than others. They were quite happy with the premierisation plan shelving into into line. I've got a question for you, Eve, with premierisation. I'm, I'm quite happy with the, with the central concept of... of getting the Saturday afternoons to shine more. But um, yesterday, Derby, if industry is really serious about, you know, burnishing the big races, driving turnover for the best and the we've got, why are Musselburgh not starting until after the Derby's been run? At one thirty Derby, why, why did they start at one fifteen? Why can't it start at half past two? I don't think they thought it through. I honestly just don't think anyone thought about it yesterday. Because of the one thirty Derby, you know, mm. all they've got is the can't be between 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock. And next year... I don't think anyone thought about it this year. But and it's it, a very, very good point. But isn't that the case that we've always got to be alert, alive yeah, to course. opportunities? Of course. And I think I don't have a real problem with the premierisation, but surely Ireland are just going to fill the gap. And, and then what do we do? We might as well have a, English racing as Irish racing. And is that, that's a, a good point, Dave. I mean, really, this is where Ireland and the UK, if they are, if they are both going to benefit from this model of, of the way punters behave during a Saturday afternoon if these behavioural studies are correct, then surely it would benefit both countries um, and, the, and the betting revenue garnered for them to be cooperating. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I, I thought this was an interesting story this week because, of course, you've had the likes of Thirst, Catterick, 
threatening legal action. Yeah. We've had Musselburgh, Chester, horses whose footfall will be hit by premiarisation. It's not a word, <laughs> and I can't pronounce and it's not, it. It's not a um, word either. And Cartmel uh, this week have said, well, we will see what we will see what happens and, and have been a, a little less on the front foot with the um, the threat of the legal action. I, I, th I think with, um, I thought Lee Moss had made an interesting point about how much do these races that are so far lower down the food chain, how much do they really impact on a race like the Derby, for example, yesterday? Um, and also, with, I, I like the idea that the BHA in uh, to all intents and purposes have taken back a measure of control of the fixture list you can mm. argue that maybe that's a bit of a fudge i think but uh, on the face of it i welcome that but with the thing i don't really understand with regard to racing shot window the itv races like i i write tipping pieces on Virtually yeah. every ITV oh, race yeah, that is do, ever yeah. done. Right. So, so what is it every week? It, it's a nine minimum of now. seven. It's about and it's nine normally now nine or on, ten. On an so season. over the course of a program. So that shot window is going to have as many items in it. It's just going to be as cluttered, isn't it? And this thing of telling the stories, which personally I'm. Do you think uh, that's a bit phonus balonus? Well, I, I do personally because you know the, the fact is that British racing at the top level, it's not like you know when. Uh, when the Kentucky Derby is on and it's the the the, the walk to the is it called the Derby walk? Is it the, walkover? When they when they walk to the start and yeah. you interview the good old boys yeah. who have you know the walkover. Right. Okay. So every time that's on, there's a thing on Twitter, isn't it, saying like, "Why can't British racing this?" It's because those owners aren't as accessible. Apart as, from Nick Bradley <laughs> and Ahmad Al Sheikh. Right. Yes, of course there are exceptions, but we we know the you know the Coolmore. Triumvirate or partners now, they're not going to tell you their life story. Similarly, lots of other owners uh, who come from the Middle East are not there to open up about, you know, uh, any sort of Damascene conversion that they've had in their lives <laughs> when they came to horse racing. I think I know where you're going here. And, and so, so we're not comparing light with light. But, but to go back to that ITV thing, it's like, well, there are still going to be nine, eight, nine races. If you get seven on a Saturday, it's not. Oh, but this it, is, this so is the, right. but the truth of it is, isn't it, Nick? That, that they're they're trying to create a, they're trying to create a an optimal gap between each race where they think that there is enough for people to bet on, you know, in in nice evenly spaced chunks, um, without it being so much that it that it stops their eye being drawn to the next betting opportunity. It's much more to do with that, isn't it, than this idea that it's going to, as Dave said, materially change the way the sport is promoted on a Saturday afternoon. Um, yeah, this, this story was uh, one that I, I kind of missed. I, I spent the week <laughs> at the cricket. I, I spent the week <laughs> at the cricket. But I don't think it's too broke to begin with. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I get the idea behind promoting stories with, with these big races. Um, but, yeah, a lot of these big races involve the same people week in, week out. So, yeah, good luck on, on you know, your job trying to, trying to organise that. Look, it's Nick Bradley racing again. <laughs> Getting thoroughly <laughs> hacked off with this now. No, I'd never be hacked off, but yeah, you might you might find some other people who who've got less patience than I have. Uh, Sylvester D'Souza, he's a jockey that you've used quite a bit, isn't he? Yeah, I knew Sylvester um, years ago. He, I remember when he was a seven pound claimer at uh, Dandy Nichols, and we had uh, Sylvester there and Adrian there. And Sylvester, I remember walking to a 
into a race because I think it was Thirsk and Sylvester was there, was there with his vest and he had these great bulging biceps and I'm feeling quite, quite, um, yeah, quite intimidated by them. Awesome jockey. Uh, I can see why he's gone out to Hong Kong. Um, obviously, the issue that he's had, you know, is not ideal. Um, so he's got a 10-month ban. He's decided not to appeal it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to get drawn into the, the ifs and ands, but Sylvester's, you know, he, he's always been a good guy. I don't think... My experience, although he's earning a great living, I'm, I'm sure he's been caught up in something that he, he, he would have chosen not to in hindsight. Yeah, so the, the um, case that, that, that came about and the offence he was charged with was, was facilitating another rider having a bet on a horse that other rider was, was riding in a, in a race. There was no suggestion that Sylvester rode in any way that was, was prejudicial to the integrity, but, but integrity standards, as they should be, are very high in Hong Kong, Dave. This leaves him, though, with a with 10 months to kick his heels at the moment. He's got to apply to get back and ride out and all that kind of thing from the BHA if he wants to do that. Yeah, in, in the immediate aftermath of, of news of the ban, news of the appeal followed pretty swiftly, mm. didn't it? And w we were wondering whether it might be against the severity of the ban. Like Wagner Borges had, had, had backed uh, Young Brilliant at Happy Valley. He got 12 months and... Sylvester D'Souza got 10 for facilitating the bet. So we were... We were wondering whether it, there might be an appeal against the, uh, the 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 penalty, the stiffness of the penalty, or indeed, mm. you know, other, other aspects of it. I think the interesting thing with this now is what route he might go down. Does he does he sit out the ten months and say, right, I'll come back, or you know, come back and ride in Britain? Um, does he call on the BHA to maybe? Uh, Look at the severity of the ban and 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 reduce it slightly. That's a massive call now with world pool betting, isn't it? Uh, Britain and Hong Kong uh, jurisdictions we, even before world pool. Yes, of like, course. Didn't like not reciprocate. Yeah, Look absolutely. At Rab Havlin's. Do you remember Rab yeah, Havlin's yeah, ban in France? That yeah. you know the PJA came out said it was manifestly unfair, yeah, and yeah. the BHA seemed to be supportive of that idea, but they weren't They weren't not going to reciprocate. I completely agree with that. It's, it's extremely rare that they're not reciprocated, but the sort of financial hitching ourselves to uh, the, the punter's star in the Far East, it, it, it is an additional factor, isn't it? You know, I, I, I can't see it happening. Um, there are many new members of the Professional Jockeys Association board this week, it has um, it has grown and swelled significantly. Most of most of them are, are jockeys. One notable uh, non-jockey is the former uh, boss of Great British Racing, Nick Attenborough, who looks uh, set to become the new chair of the of the Professional Jockey Association. That position has remained vacant since uh, John Holmes resigned. He was joined in his resignation by fellow board member Simon Cox, who done an awful lot of work behind the scenes getting jockeys a fairer deal. The jockeys themselves feeling that they weren't being particularly vocally or fairly represented, particularly in issues pertaining to the new whip rules. Uh, we are expecting Ian McMahon, the current chief executive of the PJA, to be going uh, any minute now. Um, I think that has caused a, a fair bit of rancour. Um, Eve, the PJA is a bit of a mess at the moment, isn't it? Um, it, it would appear so, yes. Uh, it's very difficult. I, I'm on the NTF Council and I know how difficult it is to get trainers to engage. And I think it's, they find it really difficult for jockeys to engage. They think it's someone else to sort it out. Someone else to sort out the whip ban. I don't need to worry about it. And then when it happens, they're all up in arms. But you have to engage. Mm. And they had Tom Skudamore and PJ McDonald at the time engaging. The, the, the suggestion was that 
uh, the the current chief executive or the outgoing chief executive, we presume Ian McMahon, um, was not sufficiently visible during that during that process. I, I suggested earlier in the week, Dave, on, on my podcast, that there should be a, a regulatory liaison officer for the PJA and then a chief executive who's there to actually properly represent jockeys politically, financially and with their well-being. And the two roles should be separate. Yes, I think that's very fair. But as Eve says, you've got to have that engagement in order even to facilitate that, haven't you, or, or to, to effect it. Um, yeah, we've got Henry Brook, Neil Callan, Tom Marquand, Andrew Mullen, John Joe Neal Jr. and Tabitha Worsley are the other six. But it's, it, it is an unholy mess. I mean, you know, I, I won't revisit everything that I've said about the whip over the last ten years, uh, but <laughs> jockeys, since the, since the new uh, rules have come in, we're, we've well gone well past a thousand days' worth of suspensions now haven't we which you know this is this was supposed to be a PR exercise how that's good PR for racing how that is going to and, and it was it, it wasn't an ethical or a, or a welfare decision it was a commercial one to try and attract uh, people to a sport that they might be put off by use of the pro cush whip and how over a thousand how telling the public that these jockeys have been given over a thousand days worth of suspensions because uh, they've used the whip improperly, how that's good PR. If that's good PR, I'm a I don't think it's the number they have in trouble with, it's the technical bit of it. If someone suddenly decided that if they've hit them within two strides, then you've got to have four days, rather than hitting them within three strides. Well, who's, I'm, I don't think that bit's been thought through myself. We are sort of moving away from the, the central issue as regards the, the PJA, but of course it's, this, is, this is the reason why uh, there's, a, there's a change of personnel at the top. Um, are they getting to the right solution, though, Nick? Um, yeah, again, I don't know. But uh, what concerns me is that you know professionals are losing an ability to earn a living. Um, a jockey's lifestyle is not glamorous in many scenarios. They work incredibly hard. They have to travel up and down the country. Um, I, I, I'd just be concerned that the lower-end jockeys who are suffering these bans... Uh, you know, some of them will think, well, maybe I should go and do something else. Um, that, yeah, that would be my concern. OK, let's talk about um, a jockey that, again, uh, found herself in the uh, regulatory wires this week. Um, Charlotte Jones uh, has been by far um, not the most high-profile rider to, to ride a finish a, a circuit too early recently. We saw it with Neil Callan at Kempton. We arguably saw it with Rachel Blackmore in Ireland, though that's a different story. Managed to get away with five days in the end. Charlotte Jones received a suspension for doing it at Cartmel. Um, her boss, uh, Jimmy Moffat, um, defended her, and, and rightly, in my opinion, Nick, defended, defended her against the abuse she was re receiving on social media. But he then kind of conflated that with, well, I'm going to stick up for her when the BHA won't. Well, if you ride a finish a circuit too early, you're going to get a ban. I mean, that's the yeah. beginning, middle and end, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But again, it's human error. Um, we all make mistakes in what we do. The problem is when a jockey makes a mistake, millions of people are watching it, and it's there, and it's it, it's it's you know it's all it's in front of everybody. Um, I entered a horse the other day in a maiden, and, and she'd won a, a month earlier, and nobody noticed that. Um, so I'm quite, quite, I maybe shouldn't be broadcasting. Ha hang on, hang on. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Back up. Start that again. 
Yeah, so, so what, what I'm trying to say is that when jockeys... No, 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 not that bit. You okay. entered a horse in a maiden. She won a, she won a maiden. So when you've got a two-year-old, yeah. this time of year, you run maiden or novice, and we have 52-year-olds. And anyway, she'd won a, she'd won a maiden at, at Beverly, and we accidentally entered her in a maiden at Thirsk last week. And So when did she win the maiden at Beverly? About four or five weeks ago. Oh, so plenty of time, mm. yeah. Well, she yeah. wasn't able to run. Yeah, but it was a kid, yeah, so but she wasn't, obviously wasn't able to run. But my point is, nobody saw me make that mistake. And in this scenario, when she did make the mistake, she's going to get, um, you know, she's open to social media channels, which can be incredibly unkind. Um, and a lot of these jockeys are young, you know, people who are learning about life. You've got to be mentally tough to be able to take that. And I, I see why. Why the tw- you know the trainer you know stood, stood by her? Mm. Oh, I know. I'm no. I'm completely with you that the trainer should stand by her and support her and give her all the all the support she and quite and also nobody's going to disagree with someone who takes on idiot trolls on social media. But if you're the regulator, you you just got to regulate. regulate according to yeah. the rules, haven't you? Yeah. It, yeah, it's just it's just tough that um, young people are in in the you know in the front of everybody and that could you know. I'm sure that she won't forget about that for a long time. Okay. Well, she doesn't need people to point out a mistake. No. Is what we're trying to say. Because you make mistakes, you know you've made a mistake. You don't need mm. idiots on social media yeah. telling you about it. Well, thank you very much for pointing it out. I hadn't, hadn't actually noticed. You know, do they think you're stupid? Clearly. Yeah. But there are lots of things the BHA can do, but they can't run, run, social running social media isn't no, one of them. No. We all know what the solution is, yeah. and that is that if you open a social media account, you should supply documentation that you would oh. if you. Uh, opened a, a bank account, or you, or you would you would register a card, a, a bank card yourself, or on behalf of somebody else. It's like you, in if you if you have a Times or any newspaper subscription behind the paywall, the the responses none of them are hateful or illegal, etc. Because the the person has got a card registered and they can't say what they might want to but of course on social media it's like the wild west it'll cost them many many millions of pounds and that's why they don't want to do it but it ain't the bha's fault for once (laughs) all right those were this week's talking points